Thanks for joining us today. We believe God is going to do great things in your life and we want to hear all about it. Send us your story at mystory@summitsa.com and let us know what he's done for you through this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us or bless us with a financial gift, go to summitsa.com and give an amount that works best for you. Now enjoy the message and have a blessed day. Psalms 18 verse 24 through 26. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful, God will show himself merciful. With a blameless man, God will show himself blameless. With the pure, God will show himself pure. And with the devious, God will show himself shrewd. So notice how we respond to God is how God responds to us. What we sow is generally what we reap. So how we respond to God, as I'm going to show you, will affect your destiny and the destiny of your children's children to future generations. 2 Samuel chapter 7 is something about David. Something happens in David's life that has a profound effect upon him and his seed line forever. I begin in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 1 through 3. Now it came to pass when King David was dwelling in his beautiful home, the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies, that the king, that's David, said to Nathan the prophet, look, I'm dwelling in this magnificent house of cedar, but the ark of God's glory is outside under a tent. Then Nathan said to the king, do all that's in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, the picture is David is living well, David is successful, but he laments the fact that the Lord is dwelling, when he say the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant, and God's glory was actually literally upon it, that the glory of God was outside in a tent while David is living in a magnificent house, and he said, it's not right. I want to build God a house. Nathan the prophet says, okay, David, do all that's in your heart. Then later that night, God speaks to Nathan and says, no, David shall not build me a house. He's a man of war, but I will give him a son and he shall build me a house. Now we know literally Solomon was that son who built the magnificent temple of Solomon from the money and materials gathered by David, his father. You literally could say Solomon's temple was built on daddy's money because it was, right? And Jesus is the prophetic fulfillment, the seed of David, who is right now building a house, which house we are, St. Paul says, the church, forever. Now, watch that play on words, house. Now, God has not asked David to build him a house, but something in David's heart wants to express itself by doing something for God. So David said, I want to build God a house. Now notice God's response. 2 Samuel 7, verse 11 through 16. God says, since the time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you, David, to rest from all your enemies, the Lord tells you he will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, he means he dies, I will set up your children, your seed after you, who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 
I will be his father, he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rods of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house, David, and your kingdom shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So when David said, God, I'm going to build you a house, God's response is, well, then, David, I'm going to build you a house. The way you have responded to me, that's how I'm going to respond to you. I now take responsibility to build you a house, and you'll find that the house God builds for David is not a condominium. It's not brick or stone. It was God putting divine favor and mercy and grace over all of David's children for generations to come. Now, that perks me up. If you have a table full of unlimited money and a table with God's favor, be smart. Pick God's favor any day. You'll always have what you need. You can run out of money, but when God's favor on you, you won't run out of anything. That's really important to know. And God says, I'm going to put that on your seed forever. Now, we know the royal house of David ultimately produced the Lord Jesus Christ, the son of David. So God built David a house by touching his children, and that seed line of David is called in Scripture the house of David. It wasn't an apartment where he lived. It was his children. It was his family, the household. In the last days, God promised to send an Elijah anointing that will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers. And one of the failures of church has been in this generation to transfer our relationship with Father God to our children. And if we're successful but we lose our kids, well, what good is it? I don't want to lose my kids. So now God gives some promises to our children. Psalms 37, verse 22. For those blessed by God shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by Him shall be cut off. How many agree we need to be on the Lord's good side? Uh, That's for me. Verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and God delights in his way. Though we fall, he's not perfect, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord will uphold him with his hand. I've been young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaking, nor his children in a food line, begging bread. Verse 26, he is ever merciful. This is the righteous man. He lends. His children are blessed. Depart from evil, do good, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. All children are not equal. Scripture says our children, the seed, are blessed. I tell them you're going to have doors open for you, favor over you, not because of your race, your eye color, or your shape, but because your daddy is a son of God. Because your mama or your daddy is a child of Almighty God, the favor of God's on you, and you're going to have promotion when you seem least likely to get it. That's what I want some of. Get out of this earning business. I'd like a little divine favor where people step back and say, well, I just don't see how that could happen. Well, I can't believe God uses her, used him. I can't believe that happened to them. Well, now you're talking some favor here which is a little bit of uh, God talk, which I kind of like. The seed of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, there's a call of God on the children of the righteous. The Bible says the offspring of the righteous are blessed. Psalms 112, 1, 2, and 3. 
Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His children shall be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in their house. His righteousness endures forever. So I tell my children, as you should tell yours, there are angels around you. There is a favor of God over your life. You are the Lord's anointed, and your destiny, according to Scripture, is to be mighty in the earth. So if my kids are digging ditches later in life, it's because they own a company putting a billion-dollar canal across Texas. Amen. Another Scripture says, Genesis 22, verse 17, In blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your children as the stars of heaven and sand on the seashore. And your children shall possess the gates of their enemies. So God's call on our children is not mediocrity and it's not poverty. God called our children to go places and to heights we weren't able to reach. Listen, because we're a multiracial church, I don't care what your background is. I don't care how you were uh, uh, treated, discriminated against, or the poverty you were subjected to. If you belong to Jesus Christ as his seed of righteous, these are now promises for your children. They will not have to live the way you lived. They will not be subject to what you were subject to. You can take a deep breath and say, thank you, Jesus. That's exactly right. They are not going to repeat what you came out of. So God's call on our children is destiny. It's purpose. So he's called our kids to go places and heights we weren't able to reach. My children, your children are not victims of chance. There's a providence of God over their life, and they're ordained to succeed in Christ. Our children are to start where we left off, kind of like handing the baton to them as we come to the end of our race. That says that can't happen to just us, but to our children. For the promise is unto you and to your children and your children's children and as many as afar off. God wants all of my seed line, all of your seed line, blessed and favored of God. Now, Psalms 25, I'm, I'm leading up to something, so stay with me. Psalms 25, verse 12 and 13. Who is the man that fears the Lord? Him shall God teach in the way he chooses. He himself shall dwell in prosperity. Get you some of that. The old thumb-sucking, poor-mouth, poor-talking person. Get you some of this. Who's the man who fears God? Him shall God teach in the way he chooses. He shall dwell in prosperity. And get this, his descendants, his children shall inherit the earth. Our kids have a great call. Psalm 69, verse 35. For God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah, that they may dwell therein and possess it. Also the descendants of his servants shall inherit it, and those who love his name shall dwell in it. Now Zion was the little mountain in the middle of Jerusalem, the highest point where the ark of the covenant of God's glory dwelt. It symbolized the anointed presence of God. And God says, our descendants shall inherit it. That means our kids are not called to some dead church. God's promise is that our children will inherit and be right in the presence and glory of God. Our kids are not called to something that's dead and failing. So God's promise is our kids will inherit and be right in the middle of God's manifested presence. Now Isaiah, if you're from Europe, Isaiah 59, 
verse 20 and 21. The Redeemer will come to Zion and those who turn from transgression. As for me, says the Lord, this is my covenant with them. My spirit that's upon you and my words which I put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth, nor from the mouth of your children, nor from the mouth of your children's children, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. So God is saying the breakthrough you're now enjoying, the anointing you now have, the covenant God has made with you, God says, I'm going to put on your children and your children's children as well. That's a covenant, okay? Now, this is exciting if you're pursuing God. How I live my life will impact my children for good or bad in generations to come. These promises are not for a casual Easter and Christmas only, Christian. This is for the man or woman willing to put the kingdom of God first. God responds to that individual by saying, I've got something special for you. I'm going to bless your children with my favor. Now notice, we saw God tell David, because you want to build me a house, and David raised all the money for it, I'm going to build you a house, David. And David gave millions for the building of the house of God. He didn't just think about it, he followed through. So how would God respond to a man who wanted to build him a house? Let's look at recorded history, and I'm going to take you 313 years after David has rotted in the ground and show you his children and what God did. Here we go. This is 53 years after David has been dead. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after the other gods, but he didn't do what the Lord commanded. You remember, Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. So for all you guys that think having a lot of women is good, it ain't good. And these pagan women turned his heart away from God and brought in these their gods from their pagan civilization and got him a bit poisoned and toxic. Poor old Solomon didn't, didn't finish real well. But that's where the idolatry came from, all these women. And back then, kings would give, uh, would give women and give their daughters to kings, kind of like you'd give a little gift to somebody. So you ladies ought to love Jesus who fixed all that, right? I don't want nobody to be giving me to somebody I don't like. How about you? Uh, poor women didn't have, a, didn't have a choice back then. But he didn't keep what the Lord commanded him. So Solomon's going off track, right? Solomon's the seed of David, his child. Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this, and you've not kept my covenant or my statutes which I commanded you, I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I won't do it in your days for the sake of your father David. Oh. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However... I won't tear away the whole kingdom. I'll give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant, David, and for the sake of Jerusalem. Solomon's behavior is incomprehensible. God prophesies judgment. Then in verse 12, he remembers he can't do that. He made a covenant with David to build David's house, and David's now in heaven. And I can hear God saying, Solomon, you better be glad your daddy loved me and served me. It would break his heart for me to smite you. So I'm going to delay judgment until your son comes to the throne. 
So notice two things. God delayed judgment for David's sake. And instead of taking the entire kingdom from even Solomon's son, God left a tribe for David's sake. Now, God's trying to bring Solomon to repentance. But he said, I promised to build David a house, and you've all I've got to work with Solomon, so I'm going to use you in spite of you. Now, if you're a parent, this is good news, especially when your child isn't behaving well, right? Okay, now let's go 86 years into the future. Of course, I guess you don't have any children misbehaving, so that's probably why the silence. 1 Kings 15, 86 years now after David has been buried, and this is Abijam, the great-grandson of David. Verse 1 through 5, in the 18th year of King Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, Abijam became king over Judah. He reigned three, three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Machai, the granddaughter of Abisham. And he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him. His heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Nevertheless, for David's sake, I underline that in red. For David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a light in Jerusalem by setting up his son after him and by establishing Jerusalem because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, who's been dead 86 years, and had not turned aside from anything that God commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, the Hittite. So Abijam would have been dead meat in the sight of God except for his great-grandfather, David, who's in the ground. And God is putting favor over David's children, even bad children, by delaying judgment and being merciful to them, though they deserve judgment. So the righteous life of David, dead 86 years, is still preserving his seed, even bad seed, because David wanted to build God a house. Okay, now jump with me 156 years into the future. This is 2 Kings chapter 8, 156 years later after David's been buried. 2 Kings 8, verse 16 through 19. Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem, and he walked in all the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. King Ahab, God said, was the worst king he ever had, and he was married to Jezebel. And no mama names their baby girl Jezebel. Jezzy. She was beyond wicked. And this sucker has married into the family. And this is the seed of David. And listen to this. So this daughter of Ahab becomes his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah or him for the sake of his servant David, for he had promised to give him a light on his sons forever. God would not destroy Jehoram, or the nation of Judah because of David. Boy, they ought to be screaming, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Anybody getting this? This is like phenomenal, isn't it? You know, you can just read the Bible and miss 
So much richness that's there. 2 Kings 19. Now, this is 300, three millennials, 300, 13 years after David is dead. 2 Kings 19. We've got an Assyrian general and a king coming against Jerusalem, and they are such a powerful force, Jerusalem doesn't have a prayer. So we pick it up in verse 34, 2 Kings 19. And God says, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass on a certain night, the angel of the Lord, not 52, 59 tomahawk missiles, one skinny off-duty angel, went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. 185,000. And when people got up in the morning, all they saw were dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed. Smart move. A good run's better than a bad stand. And went away and returned home and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass as he was worshiping in the temple of Nishrach, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Chareza, struck him down with the sword. And they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Eshkadon, the son, reigned in his place. All David did was desire to build God a house. And God says, then, David, the way you respond to me is how I'll respond to you. I'll build your house, David. And 185,000 enemies are dead. 313 years later, David's killing more people while he's dead than while he was alive. God said he did it for David's sake. Wow. Righteous living, righteous dividends, pay rich dividends, not just while I'm alive, but affecting my children and my children's children for generations in the future. Can we affect the lives of our children? Yes, yes, yes. Even children that go astray. We put God first. We learn to build God's house. So this principle is not just for David, but for all who put the kingdom first. When David built God's kingdom, God said, I'll build your kingdom, David. I'll build you a house. Two closing illustrations. 2 Kings chapter 4. Here's a wealthy, powerful woman who's got an elderly husband. Not you, honey. She's probably a young, sweet thing, and she's got everything but children. So we pick it up in verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 4. Now, it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So as often as he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. She said one day to her husband, look, I know now this is a holy man of God who passes by regularly. Let us build him a small house on the upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, a table, a chair, and a lampstand, so whenever he comes to us, he can turn in and reside there. And it happened one day that he came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him, and he said to him, say now to her, look, you've been very concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? She said, no, sir, I dwell among my own people. So he says, well, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi, his servant, says, well, actually, she has no child. She has no son, and her husband is old. Now, I'm thinking, this poor guy, with all this scripture, the only epithet this husband gets 
He's old. And that's pitiful, isn't it? I'm not going out that way. I just, you know, sometimes things just strike me while I'm not planning to say them, but I'm thinking, well, she's got no kid and her husband, yeah, he's old. Okay. So he said, call her. And when she was called, she stood in the doorway. And then the prophet said, about this time next year, you're going to have a son. And she, oh, come on, Lord, uh, man of God, don't lie to your handmaiden. Don't give me one of those false uh, TV prophecies. Come on, come on, don't lie to me. But the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come, just like Elisha had told her. Now, what are we seeing here? This woman recognizes anointed ministry in Elisha. She wants to be part of his ministry. She builds the man of God a house. Now, in reality, it's Old Testament. She's building God a house. This is God's man. She, she's trying to honor God. She builds God a house. She can't have children. But remember, if you build God a house, what God say he'll do for you? He builds you a house. And within a year, she's got no household, no kids. She becomes pregnant and fruitful. God will be no man's debtor. In fact, in Mark 10, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say unto you, no one has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, oh yeah, with persecution, primarily from Christians, and in the age to come, eternal life. God said that's now, a hundredfold now in this lifetime, and speaking of heaven, most Christians don't mind anything nice as long as it's in heaven, but you don't want it now. And God says, you do this for my sake, you shall receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime. Now. Get you some of that. Yeah, now, now. Forget, forget anything nice people put in the millennium or in heaven. So she builds God a house. God opens her dead womb and gives her a child. Wow. Then one day the child falls sick. We could say this child goes astray, dies on his mother's lap. What does she do? She runs to the man of God, and Elisha raises that child from the dead. Now notice, God not only promised to build the house, he can keep it going even if he has to raise it from the dead. And you probably got a kid out there somewhere dead spiritually, God says, look, I'm telling you, I can even raise that from the dead. Don't you be alarmed. Later in Scripture, there's a seven-year famine, and this woman and others have to leave the country. When she comes back after seven years, she's lost her property. The servant of Elisha is talking to the king of Israel about the woman and her son raised from the dead. At that very moment, Gehazi sees her, points her out to the king. The woman petitions for her land back. The king makes a decree. Give her, women had no rights, as you remember. Give her land back. Whatever has been taken off that land in fruit or increase in the last seven years, restore it to her now. What's going on? God's building a house, her house. He promised, even raised it from the dead. I'm telling you, this is, this is most encouraging. One last illustration. 1 Kings chapter 17 Verse 8 and 9, 1 Kings 17, God is commanding a widow woman. Elijah the prophet thinks it's a wealthy widow. 
Here it is in verse 8, 1 Kings 17. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet, said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. See, I have commanded a widow to provide for you. Excuse me, but wouldn't you be thinking if God said, I've got a widow down there going to look after you, she must, be, uh, she must have a good inheritance from her husband. She must have resources. You're, this is a good guy. He's not a televangelist. He's a good guy. He's not trying to take anybody's money. He's just a good guy, and he's thinking that. Verse 10. <laughs> Boy, he in for surprise. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, he saw the widow. And she was gathering sticks. And he's thinking, this is not what I expected. Sticks? And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he says, oh, yes, and please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said back, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And I'm gathering a couple of sticks so I can go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, she's got vision, doesn't she? She says, we're going to eat this last thing we have and die. Now, verse 13, 1 Kings 17. And Elijah said to her, as he's going to say to you, do not be afraid. You go and do as you have said but make me a small cake from it first. You remember the principle in Old Testament, principle in New Testament, seek first the kingdom of God. Not last, not when there's nothing else left. First, the kingdom of God. And he promises all these other things. I'll add them to you. I don't know why we don't want to try it. So he says, don't be afraid. You first give that cake to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your, your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, your bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and the prophet and her house. What's her house? One son. Eight for many days, actually a full year, Scripture says. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry just as the word of the Lord was spoken by the prophet Elijah. That's it. That's it. This is phenomenal. I don't know. God told the prophet, I've commanded a woman to give. But when Elijah got there, there wasn't a single indication. Anybody had commanded her to give anything. Maybe it was her fear of her desperate circumstances that caused her spirit to shut down. Maybe didn't hear the Lord speaking to her. I don't know. I just know she finally came around and got the word of the Lord. She's three and a half years into a famine. She gives to God once, and then she eats for a full year to a year and a half until the rain comes. See, she gave to the need of the kingdom. It released a miracle to her, and she continued to support the man of God. It says, verse 15, so she went away and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her house ate for a full year. We can impact our heritage, our children's children for generations to come. Now here's my challenge. You build God's house, he'll build your house. There's a great reward. With your time, with your talent in serving, some of you are just sitting on it like an old bullfrog, and with your resources. 
What are we doing? Building God a house right here. Everybody, every other church, building God a house. We're expanding his kingdom. And God says there is sanity in this. It's not a wasted religious experience. I will build your house. I'll do for you what you can't do even after you're dead. And I will even preserve your bad seed. Now, I don't know that that means they might become a Christian, but I do know mercy and grace will be upon them when they don't deserve it. And I'll take that one too to pass it on to my children's children's children in the future. Amen. Thanks for joining us today and may God richly bless you. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.